Welcome to the Ladies Who Launch. Join Alyssa and Dakota every other Wednesday as we launch conversations about the chaos that is life. Tune in every other Wednesday and don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Well, Alyssa, it's another Wednesday and we've got a really exciting guest on today's show talking to us a little bit about business and adversity and self-actualization. But before we dive in, shall we rant? Lady rant. Lady rant of the week. Okay. So this will have a little bit to do with what our guest is going to talk about. But um, our lady rant this week is following what our parents told us to do. Basically, we went to school, did all the things that our parents told us to do, and went in maybe to to study things that maybe we weren't that technically interested in, but we thought our parents would be happy and it was a good, solid career. And then you reach your mid-career and you reach your 30s or mid-30s and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And who yeah. is this for? And so... It's- and why do I have to be married? And why do I need to have two children? And why do I need to live in the suburbs? What's the reasoning behind all of this? Right. And why do I have to have a solid financial career and, and not like yeah. do all the things that you're supposed to do? So uh, that's a bit of our rant today is that like, we're kind of like telling our parents, no. Yeah. <laughs> we're finally standing yeah. up to our parents. I mean, I'm pretty lucky because my parents have always supported me pretty well. I just feel like sometimes I lacked direction. It was like some of my family members would be like, Dakota, you need to go to university and specifically UFC, but we're not really going to give you the tools to figure out why or why you need a degree. Just go get one because that's what you need to do to get a job. And that failed miserably years ago. (laughs) So I've been rolling to the, the beat of my own drum for quite some time now, but what's hilarious is the pieces that you're told that you need to have in your life and how you very much figure out, out as you grow up that you really don't need those pieces. Am I right? Yeah, that is correct. And I think um, for myself, I kind of was always a bit of a black sheep anyway. But um, like, I think even to this day, my dad wonders what he spent his money on. (laughs) Like, what do you do? (laughs) What did I pay for? Uh, And even when it when I went to school and it was like studying like PR, and my dad's just like, I don't, whatever. Like, why aren't you in engineering? Yeah, my brother studied (laughs) economics. He's like, why can't anyway? So I think there's still a bit of that. And even though you go through a career and you become successful, but I've always been the like. Oh, I'm not, I don't like this job and it's six months yeah. here. And and so I think and they don't, they never get it. They're like, well, why don't you stay there for your entire life? Right. right. Yeah. But anyways, my parents are coming around and uh, that brings me to the introduction of our guest today. So today we have Corey Sandquist on Corey. Welcome to the ladies who launch podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jay. Thank you for coming. So Corey is my Dakota ex-husband. And very good friend who I've known for almost half of my life. Uh, and Corey. That's crazy. I'm sorry, but that's crazy. <laughs> hey, hey, peanut gallery. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Corey and I have grown up together. We've known each other since I was 21 and he was 26. We are now both in our 30s. And we've seen each other through all the ups and downs with opening businesses, folding businesses, opening passion projects, ditching passion, pro- passion projects. And without further ado, I'd like to chat with Corey a little bit here about some of the things he's been up to as of late. 
um, where he's at, how he's kind of viewing the world these days. And then I want to chat with him a little bit about his tips for dealing with stress, adversity, career transitions, and self-actualization. So what's going on, Corey? How's it been going? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a question. Um, <laughs> to, to be able to answer how it's going, I think it's just a, a question of, of um, being able to decide where, where I want to be going next. Uh, and then I have to kind of look back from there. So my current state is uh, I've got a business. I had a cannabis business that uh, unfortunately we were not able to get it off the ground. And that has prompted the question for me of what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is um, I want to look on an international scale and I want to go and find uh, some very smart people to be around so that I can develop myself personally. Uh, now to get there took, uh, I would say, a lot of work on myself uh, to look at why, where I'm currently at, why I've done the things I've done so far, and then uh, what will get me to the next level of where I want to be at personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try and decide where I want to be at personally uh, took some serious work. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say I've done that work, but it probably took a year and a half of uh, hard introspection to figure that out. Right. One of the things I've always been amazed by with Corey is his ability to really look inside and determine first kind of how he's feeling. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Tanya Kay on the podcast. If you heard that episode, uh, that was episode three. Um, you should check that out. We talked a lot about listening to yourself, introspection. And this is one of the things that Corey's very good at. So Corey, obviously you've faced adversity just like everybody else. Um, particularly more recently, you've faced some hard adversity. Um, how, what are some of the things you're doing to to deal with stress and, and look inward and please tell me all the methods because I know we've talked about some pretty outlandish things. Uh, but yeah, do tell what are some things that you use? Sure. Um, so dealing with stress, uh, you know, it's, I think people talk about that on a very superficial way and they don't, they don't actually look into, um, cycles of stress and how things will change over time. And there's, uh, something that might work one day will eventually not only stop working, but become a hindrance to your next level of development. So uh, one example that uh, I think is is very important for people right now is um, cannabis use has been put in the forefront of a lot of media as being something that is almost a panacea. And I, I think it's been being talked about in, in absolutely the wrong way. I think it offers a lot of benefits for people, and I think it can really help uh, in a lot of ways, uh, including helping people sleep, helping people cope with things, um, cutting down other substances like alcohol. Is, uh, we know that alcohol, ha- as much as I love alcohol, alcohol has zero <laughs> benefits uh, whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, it it uh, prohib- inhibits sleep. It uh, is destructive on your liver and uh, and your brain and the uh, mental state that can come from long-term alcohol use is is far more deleterious than any benefits you're ever going to receive. Now, that being said, there's a there's a very nice social aspect to alcohol, and if and done in moderation, substances can be great. Uh, now, cannabis, again, it's been it's been touted as something great, 
but the, it has a limit and it's still a substance. And for myself, uh, it was very beneficial for me for a time as a medicine and, and as a social uh, substance. But that's after, social lubricant, right? Yeah, a, a different kind of social lubricant, <laughs> definitely than alcohol. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, a very social—it's a very social substance. If you have, if you're surrounding yourself with people that that imbibe it and enjoy it, the issue that comes in is I became dependent on it for sleep, not on a, not in a physical way, but in in, a, in an emotional way, and, and in um, just convincing myself that I needed to have some cannabis every night before I went to sleep and I slept great. Mm -hmm. And so it was very easy for me to explain, explain it away in my own head and rationalize it. Uh, but the problem is, is that it just like any substance or any medicine in particular, mm -hmm. uh, it's great until it's not. And right. once it becomes something that you have to rely on, no matter what that medicine is, uh, now you have a problem, a bigger issue that you have yeah. to wrestle with. Uh, so, um, I had one of the, one of the recent things that I've done is I've just cut out, uh, substances almost entirely. I'll have uh, an occasional drink of alcohol. Uh, but I've found, um, I've had to shy away from cannabis for a while just to get that under control. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I'm focusing on recently. And, and I think yeah. that goes, it's not just with those types of uh, the substances that people normally think of as substances. It's also excessive exercise, um, excessive eating. I mean, yeah. I love candy, but I can't eat candy all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think this is all too familiar. I know for myself, I still to this day, and it's something I'm working on right now with a counselor, actually, I struggle with a number of avoidance um, pieces. So whether they're deemed healthy or unhealthy, I have a number of crutches uh, that I use in order to avoid stress. So for me, that's kind of my uh, issue is that when I'm, you know, whether it's binge eating or excessive exercise or excessive like Netflix binging, even, even if you go have a coffee with a friend and you can't uh, sit, for lack of a better word, in your shit and deal with your own feelings, um, my counselors kind of taught me that that's a super huge avoidance issue. And so I would say that cannabis was probably one of your avoidance issues. Um, it's kind of what you turn to. And that's really interesting though, that you've gotten it under control. How, how difficult has it been getting that under control? I know that I still struggle with mine. I mean, the, the, I wouldn't say that I'm perfect every time and, and, uh, occasionally I will have more than, than I want, but uh, I've found it's been surprisingly easy because I've, I've just decided that there's a certain thing that I want to do. There's a surface, certain focus that I want to have. Uh, and anytime, uh, I'm engaging in those substances, it's just detracting from this goal that I've, that I've set for myself. Right. Um, I think, uh, I, I, I listened to, uh, something that was talking about, uh, search, searching for purpose. And, and it, it basically created this equation that I go to on a regular basis, which is despair equals suffering minus purpose. Right. Uh, so when you, when you look at that, it, it means that as long as you can accept a purpose, uh, determine a purpose uh, for why you're suffering, uh, then you never, ang you never end up in that despair. It's when you no longer understand why you're suffering and you're doing it just for the sake of, uh, because you've been told to, or some sort of external influence that you don't actually believe is what you want that's when you you enter that state of despair. 
So I keep coming back to that on a fairly regular basis. Uh, and that kind of mental state uh, has helped me uh, cope a lot better without having to use substances. Nice. So it's really just that sitting with yourself, uh, being with yourself in, in solitude or, you know, in solitude, um, kind of coming to those realizations without, again, trying to use those crutches and those avoidance pieces. I recently read a really interesting book called solitude, um, because I was having a lot of trouble being alone. I was feeling really lonely and like my heart hurt. And I felt that I needed to be around people all the time as probably another avoidance uh, tactic. Mm -hmm. And more recently after reading this book and diving back into the past where we didn't have our phones constantly attached to us and um, in situations where people were in concentration camps or in, you know, imprisoned and in a tiny room, they had to kind of really sit with themselves and live a life almost outside of those walls. It really brought some perspective back to why solitude is so important. We never get it anymore. We're never alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to have those pieces of time where you're really, truly just sitting with yourself, I know for myself, that's when I come up with my best ideas. That's when I feel the most secure with life but it's hard. It's very difficult to put your phone down or to just be alone for a day. Um, I particularly find it very difficult to take an entire day and not talk to people or access my phone. So, um, in jumping off from that point from Dakota and, uh, that you have had various careers and, and businesses and that you're sort of in this point now where you're rediscovering, have you, has it been difficult for you to now find who you are without those things? Like, so not being a lawyer or not owning a cannabis company, like where are you as Corey figuring out who you are now? It's a great question, Alyssa. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, that is a really interesting question. And it's, it's, a, it's actually quite a tough question to answer. Um, but I, I've been wrestling with that a lot of my own identity uh, what, what am I now? And, and I think the, the easiest example for, for people to relate to this question is if you go to a party, uh, the almost invariably, the yeah. what do you first, do for a living? exactly yeah. the first two questions or one of the first two to three questions that you get with anyone is, uh, the superficial question of, well, what do you do for a living? Uh, you know, what do you do for work? And, and that's, that's your identity. You're immediately labeled with that. Uh, and, and every, it, and, it see, and it feels like you are being judged on that, um, by the world. Uh, the, f- the first thing that, that I've started to accept more is, uh, I think there's, I, I think it's very arrogant, uh, to, for your, for someone to, for yourself to start thinking, um, everybody else cares what you do and, and what your life actually is. <laughs> right. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't think they do. I yeah. think there's very few people, very few times have I ever actually been to a party where I could have said. Uh, I could have said anything and it would not have changed how I was viewed at all because the, most of the people that I was talking to were not interested in talking to me to begin with. They were making idle chit chat. Right. Uh, anytime you're talking about this superficial question of what do you do for work? That is idle chit chat. And, and while that might be a jumping off point for conversations occasionally, uh, I really doubt that anybody's seriously interested in getting to know you when they're asking you that question. Right. Um, so that's, 
that's been a, a helpful starting point for me to realize is just to, to be less arrogant that everybody else cares what I do. Right. That's actually a good, it's a great point. It's a great point. It's a great point. So Corey, you know, as we were kind of growing up together in our twenties, I know we, we used to talk a lot about the pieces that our parents and the, the path that our parents kind of maybe taught us about or the path that we saw them going down and decided that we needed to go down. I remember when I first met you, you were hell bent on walking the lawyer line and making partner. And we were going to buy a house in the suburbs and pop out a few kids. And then come year three or four of our relationship, that had completely changed for both of us. And I remember very uh, fondly having conversations with you about, holy crap, that's so not who I am. And that's not even who I was. And where did I even get this idea? So how are you feeling now? Like, like, what do you think of that whole thing now in relation to where, where you are right now? Yeah. The, so, so I think, I think it's important to acknowledge that the people as they grow up, they are given a path. And, and for a long time, I don't think people have the mental uh, capacity. If they do, they're, they're far smarter than I am, but if they, I don't think they have the mental capacity to be able to question anything other than what society or, or their parents or a combination of, of various things have told them is, the path, uh, it's shown to them, it's easy, and they're just told to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point, you have to ask the question of whether you actually want to be on that path or you just stay miserable because you've never actually made a choice and, and not making a choice is making a choice. Hmm. Um, okay, that's pretty profound. That, that is very Not profound. making a choice is making I a like choice. That. Yeah. I wish I, could, I wish I could claim that, but I've, <laughs> I've uh, heard that from a couple of different sources the, re- the most recent time I heard that was t- from Tim Ferriss. So I, mm, I yeah, wish yeah. I could. <laughs> it's a good person to hear it from. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's that kind of concept that, that has, has helped me determine um, how to come to terms with the idea that I'm no longer on that path. Uh, now uh, what I try to do and what I do most, most of the time uh, is I just look at, everything that I've done to date has given me experiences and given me an ability to uh, view things a certain way, to comprehend things a certain way, uh, how to analyze things. And then I just, instead of thinking, well, shit, I'm 37 and I'm divorced and uh, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. uh, Now I think, well, I've got at least 40 to 50 more years hopefully longer if I work out and I I eat right. Um, But I've got 40 to 50 more years and look at everything I've done in only 37. Mm -hmm. And really I probably wasn't grinding too terribly hard for the first 20. So (laughs) this is true. I don't think any of us were No. Yeah. So, so I can, I can say if, if you look at, if I look back and I say, well, in 17 years I was able to do this uh, and I hadn't, actually made a choice for a lot of those 17 years. Uh, I just look at it and I say, imagine what I can do now that I want to make some choices and I want to actually determine where I want to go next. And I think part of it as well that uh, has really helped me is I'm no longer looking at what am I going to do for the next 40 years? I'm looking at what am I going to do for the next two to five to set me up for the next opportunity Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I may want that I don't even know is going to exist yet. That's another interesting thing is the the amount of pressure we put on ourselves to look ahead. Um, I know I do that with myself just on a weekly basis. And I find I cannot for the life of me tackle 
and think about a week's worth of projects. But when I just sit down in the morning and intentionally go through a list of five or six things for that day, I excel and I'm successful in everything that I have to do. Why is it that we put so much pressure on ourselves to know what we're going to be in 10 years or 20 years? And I think it all stems back to that, what society tells us really. And I'd even add to that uh, and say that it's actually even what Instagram and social media is telling us what we need to be doing. Because this is what I'm finding now in what I do. I mean, obviously working in communications and PR and you follow Instagram accounts and everything's so beautiful and everything's, everybody's so happy and, oh, they're so successful. And then you start comparing yourself. It's like, well, she's looks to be doing better than me. And why, why did, why did so-and-so get that client? And what did they have to do to get that? And I think I've run in, I've really been struggling with that the last year is how to stop comparing myself to what I think people are doing on social. Um, and and figuring out what I want to be and how, well, I mean, we all know that what's on social is not real anyway, but we all fall into that oh, and that yeah. we think we're not being as successful or as good as we should be because they look like they're doing it so much better than we are. Mm-hmm. Really r- reality these days in the digital world, and we do live in a very digital world. And obviously you guys all know that that's kind of my whole business is living in that world, but it's all a very vacuous way to view life. Um, social media should not be the way that you're living your life. And, and, and Instagram should not be a photo of what your life is like. Um, and I think we really do need to check ourselves and, and take time away from social media and, and truly reconnect with ourselves, which is again, why I thought having Corey on the podcast would be so profound because he's just excellent at doing those very things. Are you even on social Corey? Like just generally like as a outside of your business, are you active yourself and have you found any? Yeah, I really like Instagram. I, I've gone <laughs> back and forth on Instagram. Um, when, uh, it's, it seems like when I, when I get on there, I really like to be on there. I like to take pictures of food a lot. Yeah. Foodie. Um, when I, <laughs> yeah, he's that guy that takes a picture of all of his meals. I am. That guy. I, I really am. <laughs> I, and I think it's, uh, but I've had to I've had to change my perspective of what uh, Instagram is over time, and I think for a very long time I was using it as a uh, a tool to feel validated. Uh, I was I was determining how many likes I would get, and mm-hmm. I, it got to it got like to, even on a personal level. Like this isn't even just for business, right? Yeah. Yes, and, and, and wow. it got to such a point where um, I would only post. I mean, obviously, I'm not. I'm not posting. I'm not cooking gourmet meals every single night. But except he actually is. <laughs> I, I do all right, but the I don't. I would only post things that looked at the absolute best, and that's just not. You know, it's not reality. Just like uh, every other aspect of what people will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would. I would only do it if I knew I was going to get a certain number of likes, and the people were going to be impressed instead of. Um, showing real life. Now I still like doing that. Uh, and I, I recently discovered uh, the stories. Oh. I saw that. 
<laughs> I really enjoyed the stories. I, I did. I was not aware of how it actually worked until very recently, and I, I've been really enjoying that because it's a yeah, that's a that's a, a black hole it's, stories. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's fun. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, I think it. I think as long as it's viewed as just being a little bit of fun and having some friends on there, maybe some friends that are only digital friends, some friends that are uh, real life friends. Uh, it might even be a conversation piece at times, mm-hmm. but I don't, I no longer, I can't, I don't have the, the mental capacity to be able to use it as a, a way to be validated because I, I found no matter how many likes I got, I never felt validated. Mm-hmm. So this news is very surprising to me because way back when, when we were together, um, I seem to recall that I was kind of the social media whore. And <laughs> this is almost like a therapy session. I'm like fascinated to sit between the two of you. Well, this is good. I think it's really interesting. Um, so Corey, I'm like, I, I'm curious, like what changed between you? Like you never used to be on social media. What changed? Was it some, was it the things that you've just been facing recently? Like some of the loneliness you've been feeling, you've kind of turned to social as, as a bit of a tool to feel validated. And like, why do you think that is just out of curiosity? Because you used to be vehemently against social media when we were together. I think the loneliness actually, I think you're touching on something that is, is accurate. Um, when I started traveling a lot on my own, uh, I found as much as I was able to go and meet someone or, uh, you know, meet a group of people, just start strike up a conversation. It wasn't the same as having someone that I was traveling with and, and I wanted to share things. I, it, it was, it, I wasn't even looking for the validation. I just wanted to share with other people the things that I was doing and, and to have other people experience maybe the joy or the, um, the visual. You wanted to share, I, you wanted to share your experience. I did. And, and I think there's, there's a connection, uh, that people just need, uh, people absolutely need to be connected. People need to recognize that we live in a world with other people. And sometimes those might be strangers and, uh, sometimes those might be friends or lovers or whatever. Uh, but that connection is very important and it shouldn't be discounted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there, I think people need to recognize more that even the person you're standing beside on the street is uh, a beautiful, vulnerable person, even if they're an asshole, mm-hmm. uh, there is, there is a child, there's a vulnerable child inside and just like all of us and at our, at its core, uh, that person is probably an asshole because of a lifetime of very difficult things that they went through, whether real or perceived, their construct is a very difficult thing and life is hard. Mm-hmm. And we all need to recognize that. Hundred percent. So we're kind of coming to the end of our session here. We don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I just have a couple of questions. What, just to give back to our audience here, what are three things that you've you've kind of answered this a little bit already? But just like three really quick things that you would recommend to people in order to get a little more in touch with um, their solitude and to be able to sit and, and be alone and be comfortable with that. Uh, what would you say are a couple of methods people could use that you've found successful? Um, I think people are individualistic. So one method that might work for me wouldn't work for someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, I've found that 
waking up in the morning uh, and get, and just having this idea of getting after it uh, really has helped me. I, I, uh, I'll go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to avoid alcohol at night now uh, because it really, it was, it was really deleterious to my, to my sleep. Uh, and I just try to set the mental state that I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to get after it and I'm going to feel like I'm going to get after it. Uh, so that has really helped me, um, less on the, you know, the tips and tricks, but more on a, on a fundamental concept. I think people need to start accepting failure mm-hmm. and they need to, I, I think it's very important to recognize that failure is a thing that happens constantly and will continue to constantly happen. And failure is not a bad thing. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Failure is absolutely horrible at times. And it can be really hard to come to terms with uh, failure, particularly when Uh, You work really hard at something and you believe in something and it just turns out that it does not work. And it might be because of you. It might be because of external factors. It might be because of uh, a combination, Uh, but it will, failure will happen. And I think it's a, it's a very important for people to, to my personal, the, the way it works for best for me is I meditate. Um, I'm not going to say I'm great at it and I'm not going to say that I, I I'm able to just very difficult thing yeah. to do. I've never been good at it. It's, it's, it's yeah. quite hard. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. And, it, and it's not, but it, this isn't about, this isn't about turning off your mind. What I've found has helped for me is when I start feeling, when I start feeling sad about the failure, mm-hmm. then I will meditate and, and, really just turn into a quiet space and start breathing and start thinking about what does this really mean? Does this failure really mean that, that like I'm, uh, I'm not a valuable person. Uh, does it, does it go to my sense of worth or does it just mean that I screwed up or I made the wrong call or the world was just not aligned in this particular moment Mm -hmm. for me to do that. And and I found that that really helps, but it, Whatever the the method is, mm-hmm. I think people. One of the most important things someone can do is to sit in their sit in their own failure and analyze their failure without judging at the, judging themselves yeah. exactly at the same at the same like dissociating their personal self worth with the actions that have occurred. Exactly. I also think we all need to get over this whole, one thing I used to do all the time, um, and Corey knows this, is every year I'd say to him, this year is going to be better. This year Mm -hmm. I can start fresh. And that's bullshit because as Corey said, failure happens all the time and you're going to have better years than other and worse years, years than other, but you're, but you're always going to face adversity and failure and you have to start looking at it if it suits you. Uh, but really it will make you a happier person um, as a tool, as a tool for learning, really. Um, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. So Corey, this was really insightful and I hope that it was uh, helpful for you too, to just kind of chat about things. I know for myself, anytime I'm going through anything, talking about it really helps me, but we really appreciate you coming on the cast and Corey's going to be doing some amazing things. He always does amazing things. <laughs> 
And so I would encourage you all to uh, follow him or connect with him on LinkedIn. He's a great person to go for coffee with. You've heard how eloquent he is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thanks for coming and chatting with us. And uh, we wish you all the best in your new adventures. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Ladies Who Launch with Dakota and Alyssa. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. 